Hello everyone, welcome to Be The Gift Connections. I'm Don Benjamin with Tennessee Donor Services. Imagine giving a priceless gift that costs nothing, a gift that not only changes lives, but can save them. That's the gift of organ and tissue donation. And what better time to talk about it than during the season of giving. On this installment of Be The Gift Connections, we'll be sharing two special stories of giving and the impact that it has on others. And later in the program, we'll be talking about holiday traditions and the gift of life. To begin our program, we have the story of Jessie Starnes, a nine-year-old girl who has left a lasting legacy in her community and beyond. We're glad to have Lisa Rousseau, Jessie's mother, with us. Lisa, thanks for being here. Thank you. Well, the first thing we want to do is get you to tell us about Jessie. Okay. Um, Jessie uh, left this earth when she was nine years old, but before she left this earth, she was a very giving, uh, really fun kid, um, was the one that was like the champion for the people that uh, that were maybe the underdogs. Uh, she would be friends with the kids at school that nobody else would be friends with. She would try to include everybody. Um, she knew when you needed a hug, she knew when you needed encouragement and it was just seemed to be built in her that she was, um, just that giving. I mean, it's just like she was born that way. Uh, and she was really stubborn too. Uh, but she was just a really good hearted kid. Tell us what happened to her in 2008. In 2008, um, she was, having to, you know, we were out doing our thing. Uh, we were out doing a thing for, um, for spring break, uh, doing a lot of shopping, doing it, going out to eat, doing things we wanted to do. Um, and that day in 2008, um, she had a brain aneurysm. I had never had any problems before and we didn't know that there were any issues. Um, I, we had gotten home from our daily, you know, all the stuff we did that day. I had come in and I was doing some stuff in the kitchen and I heard her holler for me. Uh, she was in the living room and she fell. Uh, at that time, I rushed in there and she was having a seizure. Uh, she had never had one before. Um, I immediately called 911. Uh, she became unresponsive. Um, and so I started doing CPR on her. Um, and I did CPR until the ambulance came. Um, she had quit breathing. Um, her heart was still beating. And um, one of the things that they told us at the hospital is if I had not done CPR and kept all that flowing, that she would not have been a candidate for organ donation. So I was very thankful that I knew how to do CPR. And I really, that's one of the things I talk to people about. Um, it's just really good to know. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most poignant parts of Jessie's story is your conversation with her teacher when Jessie was in the hospital. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so we were talking to her, you know, she's, she's um, on life support, but we're, you know, talking to her and I hear her teacher talking to her saying, you know, you got to come back to school because what are we going to do? Uh, who's going to keep everybody supplied with, you know, with pencils and paper and things and, I was kind of puzzled at that. And I thought, what, you know, so when she came out of the room, I talked to her, I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, Jessie keeps her desk. She said, didn't you know? She said, Jessie keeps her desk stocked full of school supplies. So nobody is without ever. 
you know, she don't want anybody to get in trouble for not having something or she, you know, they might not be able to afford it or don't have it. And I, and I told the teacher, I said, I thought she was just losing things because I kept having to buy stuff, you know, and I said, I thought she was just losing things. I said, no, she, she gives the stuff away, you know, to anybody that needs it. Hmm. Well, we're going to talk about Jesse's desk a little bit more later on. Um, why did you and Jesse's father decide to let her be a donor? Well, you know, we didn't even have to, we both looked at each other even before, uh, anybody else had brought it up, you know, we, it was hard to have the conversation because we didn't want to face the fact at that moment that there may not be any hope for her to continue to live. Um, but we also knew that from what the doctors were saying, there was a very good chance she would not. So at that point, um, we started discussing it. I mean, this, here's a, this kid that is a giver. I mean, she is a giver. She, she loves people. She is all about helping people. Um, and, you know, part of it, I think she was born with part of it. She was instilled because that's how we are. Um, so we decided to do it because we knew she would, we knew she'd want to, I mean, if she could say, so, she would want to, uh, to be able to do something. Uh, also we wanted her death to not be just the end of everything. Um, it was really, really hard. And we were kind of, of course, you know, you're so emotional uh, during everything, but the decision was made with a very clear mind um, that this is what we knew she would want to do. We thought it was best because she could help other people. She could still help other people, whether mm -hmm. it was here or not. Um, and that was a big part of the decision. What was your opinion of organ and tissue donation prior to this? You know, I hadn't thought, I mean, I was an organ donor. I was already signed up to be an organ donor because I always had that idea of I'm not going to need it anymore. If somebody else can use it, mm -hmm. uh, let them use it. Um, I had never, you know, I had never had any bad feelings about it. Um, I was always very, you know, pro organ donation. Mm -hmm. um, I have nurses in my family and they are very pro organ donation. So, um you know, I didn't have any bad feelings about it or didn't have any um, myths that I had believed or whatever. So I was I was very pro organ donation even before this. Mm -hmm. So what do you know about Jesse's recipients? Well, um, I didn't bring my list with me, but I do have uh, I remember a lot of them. I've met one of her kidney recipients uh, and that was precious. That was so precious. It was like an instant connection. Mm -hmm. Uh, I met her, her husband, uh, her, one of her daughters, um, and, uh, her son-in-law, they had, um, I think five children, uh, and then a lot of grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And they thanked me over and over and over again that they were getting their mom for longer in life. She was an older lady. Uh, she was in her right at 70, uh, and got the kidney and, uh, and has, you know, just done great. And they were just so thankful that they had more time with their mom because it was, she was in pretty rough shape mm -hmm. by the time she got the kidney. Mm -hmm. Um, the lung recipient is one that the letter that I'll cherish the most probably, uh, and it was from a teenage girl, uh, that got Jesse's lungs and she was a cystic fibrosis patient. Mm -hmm. Um, she had gotten in such bad shape that she could not uh, even go to school. She was wheelchair bound. Um, and when she got the lungs, uh, 
she got better. She was like, I'm planning in her letter. She said, I'm planning on where I'm going to go to college. I've gotten my driver's license now. And before I couldn't even, you know, function enough to drive, I couldn't, you know, have enough breath and stuff to drive. Uh, and she promised me, she said, I promise I will not waste this gift and I will make the most out of my life because of this gift. And I think that one was so touching because her parents didn't write it. She wrote it, you know, um, and it was somebody that was even though Jesse was younger, it was still somebody that was what I consider a kid mm-hmm. um, that was so thankful and, you know, and said that they would do a lot with this gift. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh you know, we have her corneas um, and heart. I never heard from the heart recipient. Uh, liver, um, that went really well from what I've understood on that one. I got the letter from the liver recipient. I got another letter from the other kidney recipient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, But like I said, I think the lung was the most uh, heartfelt one, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I know that means a lot to to donor family members to, to receive um, those letters from the, re- the recipients. It really does. It really does. Um, even if you don't ever get to meet them, um, uh, it is such a, it, it makes you feel that, you know, you couldn't, you know, you can't control, you know, I couldn't control what happened with her, mm-hmm. uh, but I could control, you know, things afterwards and, and, uh, and how we approached it and gifts that we could give. Right. Now, Jesse was honored at the Donate Life America or on the Donate Life America float in the 2012 Rose Parade. Tell us just a little bit about that experience. That was the most amazing thing. So we went, we got to go to Pasadena. Uh, We got to help work on that float, which was so neat to see. It was so intricate and so wonderful. Um, And the volunteers that were there working on that float worse. I mean, you know, these people, their hearts were in it and they did a lot of hard work. Um, and they did a floor graph, you know, of each one that was being, um, honored. And I get to meet the people, I met the people that were actually worked on her floor graph that made the picture of her. Um, and I'm actually still in contact with them. So uh, after all these years, yeah, we keep up with each other and uh, and all that. So it's it was it was the most amazing thing to sit there and know that um, this gift of life that that we decided to give uh, was being honored in this way, that she was being honored in this way. It was, you know, so much about her and that she's not forgotten and uh, and that these people have this heart you know, for this mission and uh, Mm -hmm. that they work on it. And it was, it was a great, great experience. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesse's legacy did not stop with being an organ and tissue donor. Tell us about the Jesse's desk project. Okay. So when we go back to that story that I told about our teacher, okay. And then we found out she was giving away her school supplies. So what I've done since then um, is I have actually established a nonprofit organization called Jesse's desk. Jesse's desk gives um, school supplies to anybody in need. Uh, We also help a lot of teachers. So teachers, you know, have so much that they budget that they let them have. Uh, And then after that, a lot of these teachers pay out of pocket and keep their classrooms up and keep these kids and and supplies and things. Um, So what we do is we take donations, we do fundraisers, and I give back to the community 
uh, in Jesse's name for this. And if you see the pictures there, the picture of that desk looks a little dingy there in, in places, but um, that desk is actually her desk. That is the one that um, she kept all of her stuff in. And uh, after she passed away, her um, the school counselor at her school at Wallace Smith Elementary um, had her friends, they actually painted it. So they like had stencils and they painted it with things that they knew she liked. This desk still sits in the counselor's office full of supplies. And then of course we give enough that we have cabinets full too. Um, mm. But this still sits there uh, as in that actual school uh, with her school supplies. We also um, have done, we've sent backpacks to Nicaragua for a missionary that's doing the school there, opening a school. Um, we've sent things, you know, all over the place. I've delivered school supplies to other states. Um, I've sent things to other states and here in Tennessee also. Um, and we just really feel so good when we get to do that. That's great. Now, do you do anything special during the holidays to remember Jesse? Yep. Um, you know, I'm, I am a co-chapter leader of a parents bereavement group, and it's a worldwide organization. Uh, and we have a chapter here in Chattanooga. Uh, but the second Sunday of every uh, December, we do a big candlelight a vigil and a big can and we have a program and music and things and we honor our children. Uh, we do that. I also try to uh, find an angel tree or a kid in need that was the age that she was when she left um, about a nine year old girl. And I try to do um, Christmas gifts. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, for, you know, somebody that's about that age. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. Lisa, thanks so much for telling us about Jesse. Hers is a beautiful story of giving, and it's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be talking with a kidney recipient and her living donor. Stay with us. I got uh, first diagnosed with a uh, polycystic kidney disease in 1995. I worked with Daryl and I knew that he was on the transplant list awaiting uh, a kidney. I never got to meet Adam, but um, he donated to me. My brother's kidney was a perfect match for Daryl. Yeah, I have another family now. Life is regenerating and we have to keep regenerating life. They look at me like I'm Adam and I love it. In 2021, a record 5,970 people chose to be living donors and give a kidney to a loved one or a stranger in need. Because the national waiting list for kidneys is so large, living kidney donors are key in helping save more lives. Joining us now is Amy Dodd, a kidney recipient, along with Christy Jones, her donor. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hello. So tell me, how long have uh, you known each other? Uh, we met over 12 years ago. Okay. Did you meet through work? Or yes. Yes. We've worked together for, yeah, um, over 12 years now. All right. So Amy, uh, tell us what led to your needing a transplant. 
unfortunately, it was uh, undetermined. I went into failure immediately, like kind of suddenly, and they couldn't figure out here in Knoxville what was wrong. So I went to a second facility to get a second opinion, and they could not determine as well. So can you tell us just a little bit about the process of getting on the list? Yeah, so I started that journey in September 2020, and um, unfortunately, I was declined in December 2020, and then I went ahead and went to a second facility to try to get approved, and I was approved officially in May of 2021. Okay. Now, when you were finally got on the list, had you already thought about seeking a living donor? Yes. When I went to the first facility, they told me I needed to go ahead and start looking. And that was in September, 2020. So we spread the word by word of mouth. And then we also um, went on Facebook and started spreading the word. Now, did they tell you this because they expected you to have to wait longer? Or did you have a rare blood type or, or what was that situation? No, they just felt like, you know, the, the sooner I could do it, the better opportunity I would have to come off Dallas sooner. And so we started in September 2020 advertising. And um, I actually had 23 people do the blood typing and tissue typing before I actually got approved. Wow. So that was done pretty early before they declined me in December. Wow. Now, Christy, when did you tell Amy that you wanted to be her donor? Um, I didn't mention anything to her until I got the blood and tissue typing back that told me that we were a match. And that is when I then let her know that I got tested and we matched up. Amy, were you surprised when she told you? Yes, I was very shocked, but that's just who she is. She's a very giving person. Now, Christy, there had to be some contemplation and, and consideration from you when you were making this decision. Why did you ultimately decide uh, to give this gift uh, to Amy? Well, um, just interestingly enough, uh, one of my very best friends had been a, t a kidney donor two years prior, and I was actually her caregiver. So I had been through the process never knowing that I would eventually very in very soon be going through the process. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I saw how um, Angel's life changed in positive ways after donating her kidney to someone and that, you know, she stayed very healthy and very little life changes for her. So it made it a very easy decision. So Christy, from, from your side, what was involved in the screening and how long did it get uh, take for you to get approved? Um, what, I, I had to go um, for two full days of health screenings. They, they check everything from head to toe, all kinds of tests, even psychological tests. They wanna make sure that you're you know, of sound mind making this decision on top of, um, on, you know, on top of being physically able to do it. So once I went through those two days of testing, we had to wait a week or so because actually a, a board meets that has to review our case. And they're the ones that give final approval. So we had to wait for them to meet and give the go ahead on that. Okay. Well, now tell us about the day of surgery. 
We'll start with, um, well, let's start with Christy. Okay. Yeah, well, it, uh, it was actually very surreal. Um, I was basically very calm. And as a donor, they, they give you every opportunity possible to change your mind. So they, they don't actually start any medications or anything like that until you are in the OR. So, you know, there was quite a bit of time waiting um, for that, but I stayed calm because it's almost like at that point, I was like, I've got a job to do. We're finally here to do it and get it done. And even once they got me set up in the OR, before they started any of the drugs or anything else, I did have to give my final approval that, yes, I am going forward with this. Okay, Amy, tell us about the day of surgery from your perspective. Um, it was very unbelievable. You know, we were both really at peace with it. Um, it's kind of like we waited all this time to get here, so we were very excited. Um, and actually, it was during the pandemic. So that very morning at the hospital, they had lifted some of the visitor um, requirements. And they started allowing us to have two rotating visitors during our stay, which was very exciting for us. So, so we could rotate two people in and out. Because we thought there for a time that we weren't going to be able to have anyone with us. Now, did you two see each other um, that day? Yes, in the morning. That morning, prior to us going back, we got to spend time together. Of course, Christy went back first. Mm -hmm. And shortly after she went back, I went back. But unfortunately, we didn't get to see each other right before surgery after we went back. Amy, can you describe how much better you felt after surgery? Yes, I felt better almost immediately. Um, you know, it was really exciting time for me um, to know I didn't have to do dialysis anymore. And my kidneys started working immediately. By that evening, I was already down to like a 1.4 creatinine, which was so exciting because I had been about 12. Hmm. And by the next morning, it was like at 0.99. So it was such a blessing for me to have the opportunity to live life again. That's great. Now, how long were you in the hospital? I was only in the hospital for three days. Um, on day one, we had surgery in the morning. By the afternoon, they had me up walking uh, through the hospital. So um, on the second day, they knew how well my kidney was working. So they actually took out my chest catheter. So it was, um, I felt like a very short time in the hospital, but it was just enough time I was ready to leave. I felt great and I was walking good and recovering well. Mm -hmm. Now for Christy, um, I have heard that sometimes the recovery is harder on the living donor. What was your recovery like? Well, um, I actually was released from the hospital the next day. Um, they do say most of the time to expect two to three days. Uh, but my caregiver that came to stay with me, since she was a donor and had been through the process, I think the surgeon just felt very comfortable um, that we would be able to handle anything. And we were staying very close to the hospital. So he let me leave the next day. And um, I mean, and I, you know, I had to rest a lot and there was a lot of soreness, but I just, I, I started walking immediately, getting my 10,000 steps in, but then making sure I also rested daily. And every single day I had more energy and felt better. 
And I mean, it took a few weeks to get back to where I felt 100%, but after the first couple of days, it was amazing how quickly you heal. Mm -hmm. Now you've celebrated just recently the one year anniversary. We did. And since we're, it is the holiday season, uh, I'm sure um, that during this time, um, I'm sure, Amy, you're thinking about how thankful you are for Christy's gift. Um, I'd like to hear from both of you. How has this uh, impacted uh, your friendship? Uh, to me, she'll always be family. Um, I mean, it was the ultimate sacrifice for me. Mm -hmm. and it was just amazing to be able to have someone to step up and give you that as a live donor. And, you know, we're very close. We talk daily. We text daily and of course we see each other daily at work as well, but it was definitely something that will never be forgiven or, you know, always appreciated. Yeah. And I truly feel like, I mean, we're blood related now. She's my sister. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're both doing well and hope you have a great holiday season. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. You know, living donation truly is a profound act, act of compassion. Take care. Thank you. You'll want to stay with us. When we return, we'll be talking with a chaplain about the season of giving and the gift of life. Back in a moment. the gift no one will ever exchange. Register to be an organ and tissue donor right now at BeTheGiftToday.com. We now want to turn our thoughts to how we observe the holiday season. We're going to look at commonalities and faith traditions, giving, and how donation fits in. Martha Rucker is staff chaplain at Ascension St. Thomas West in Nashville. She's been a chaplain for 25 years, serving at St. Thomas for over eight. She holds a master's degree focused in pastoral care and counseling. She's also St. Thomas's pastoral care OPO representative meaning she supports Tennessee Donor Services and helps to care for the donor families at the hospital. Martha, welcome to Be The Gift Connections. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Now, as a hospital chaplain, you work with people of all faiths. Uh, what do you see as some of the common threads running through different faith traditions as it relates to giving? Well, thank you for the question. And yes, um, as a chaplain, we serve all faith traditions, and uh, the most significant common denominator within all the faith traditions are uh, the interconnectedness, being connected to one another. Uh, our major faith traditions in Buddhism, I mean, the Buddha had uh, made sure that he had told the monks in seeing someone who was sick, 
he said, whoever would care for me, let them also care for those who are sick. And we certainly hear that thread throughout Christianity as a whole, um, in Catholicism, in the Islamic tradition, it's looking at compassion and generosity, duty, cooperation. So there are these themes and threads throughout the major faith traditions in caring for one another and um, being compassionate and thinking of someone else, thinking uh, of another person before you think about yourself. Significant thread throughout the faith tradition. So in my service and in our service as staff chaplains, it doesn't matter what the faith tradition is. And in organ donation, we are there to support and to help everyone uh, understand those common threads and those common denominators. So how do you personally see organ and tissue donation fitting into these belief systems? Well, with the, with the common thread that is woven within the fabric of all of these faith tradition, then organ donation is one of those threads in stepping outside of ourselves and helping to care for somebody else whether um, you know that's in life and then with organ donation it is with their death so stepping outside of, of of just them and helping other people and helping those who are in need now the holiday season can be a bittersweet time for families who have lost loved ones what words of encouragement would you give particularly to our donor families in navigating this time of year I, I like that question. I like it a lot. Uh, you know, oftentimes in, uh, in a death and especially in organ donation in this time of year, um, you know, we, have, we as a society tend to focus on all the things that feel good. And uh, certainly can't blame people for wanting to do that. I would join with the families in wherever they are emotionally and mentally on their grief journey. I would, especially at this time of year, encourage them not to ignore what feelings rise to the surface, whether they need to laugh or they cry, uh, they need to tell stories and perhaps retell the same stories over and over again. If this is a first for the families, I'd encourage the families to establish some sort of ritual, a ritual in being able to honor and remember their loved one as well as remembering the person and or the persons who have received the gifts. I love that. Uh, you know, a lot of times we get caught up in mm -hmm. the busyness of holidays and we really don't think about what others might be going through, that it might right. not be an exactly happy time for them. So that's right. So now this time of year can also be a time of reflection. Mm -hmm. uh, what counsel do you give to those who celebrate the giving season, either as a religious or a cultural holiday? Well, again, you know, the kind of springboards from the last question is to be able to give the family the time and the space to acknowledge whatever feelings are coming to the surface, whatever they might be. Um, and if the person is religious or perhaps not so religious, I think those of us who are religious need to remember that many of our religious customs, actually most of our religious customs from this time, for this time of year came out of cultural customs mm -hmm. in order that we would be able to connect more 
And I think that, again, that is the, the theme in that interconnectedness. So this time of year in particular, to be, to be able to remember how the life was lived, how their loved one's life was lived and how their legacy continues in, uh, in, and how they have shared of themselves with people they don't even know. Well, Martha, thank you for sharing your insight into the season of giving and the gift of life. We appreciate the care and counsel that you give to our donor families in the midst of their grief. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Take care. And thank you for joining us for Be The Gift Connections. We hope you'll consider giving the greatest gift this season by registering to be an organ and tissue donor. It's so easy to sign up. Just go to bethegifttoday.com to document your decision. And don't forget to talk to your family. Remember, we all have the power to donate life. Happy holidays. <music>